Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Really glad, good to have you at Engage Boise if I've never met you. If you were here last week, uh, uh, you would not have met us because we were out of town. It's the first Sunday we've missed in quite a while. Um, but uh, also, if you're brand new today and I haven't said hello to you, I'd love to shake your hand, say thank you for coming. After church, make sure you get one of the uh, large buckets to put coffee in that we like to hand out. Uh, we're just really grateful you're here. It's great to be back with you this morning after being, we were out of town last weekend. First Sunday, like I said, we've missed in quite a while. Uh, we were just away in the mountains for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Pastor Chase mentioned when he was doing announcements that we were probably watching online, and he was right. We actually got up early enough. We went down and fished at the dock, the cabin where we were, uh, and then we came up and watched church. And I'll tell you this. You have not lived until you have fished with a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old and a golden retriever who's never seen fish in its life. <laughs> I didn't see it happen, but apparently he leaped off the dock to try to take a fish off the hook. And there was chaos ensued, and it was an awesome day. So <laughs> you'll have to have my son Luke tell you about it later. He's, he tells the story the best. So anyway, it was an awesome time. Uh, just really grateful. Thanks to all of our staff and volunteers. Did a great job. Last weekend, Pastor Wendy, Pastor Chase, Pastor Mer, Olga, Zach, and of course, uh, Pastor Monty brought the message. Thank you for bringing a message straight from the heart of the Lord last week. It was awesome to be able to go out of town uh, and just know that everything is going to go smoothly. It did happen that way. Really, really grateful for it. I appreciated Pastor Marty's message uh, about not leaving your family behind. Like Pastor Chase said at the end of service, there is no family member that is so far that God can't reach them. So don't give up on your hope and praying, even if it's been uh, days, weeks, months, years. Don't give up. And that folds right into what we're all about at our church, right? We always say, if we love the family, we can change the world. The family you have in your house, uh, the family outside your house, and the family in this church. If we love the family, we can change the world. Really excited about stuff coming up we have in the fall, and we'll just kind of be letting you know about that as we go forward this month. The next... Um, Fall's an awesome time at church because you get people back from vacation, and then they get back to their regular routine, and uh, the routine that school brings often brings people back to church as well. So I would just encourage you in this, if there's anyone you haven't seen at church in a while because uh, they've been camping or whatever, I would encourage you, reach out to them, tell them you missed them, try not to guilt trip them too much, but tell them you missed them at church. And uh, we would love to have them back. Um, I'm excited today to continue on in the story of Joseph. Uh, so my intention is to finish the book of Genesis either these last two uh, weeks in August or possibly the first uh, weekend in September. We'll just have to see how it goes. And we're, today we're going to take a little longer to get to the passage we usually read, uh, which is Genesis 47. And the reason is because I want us to understand and think about uh, why what is written down here is important. Because uh, we've been talking a lot about this relationship between Joseph and his father Jacob and the brothers and them selling him into slavery and the back and forth and them not knowing who Joseph is. It's really cool, these interpersonal relationships and the restoration that's happening. But then suddenly the story jumps from focusing on the family to what uh, Joseph is doing in Egypt. And then it goes back to the family again at the end of the chapter. And it seems a little bit sudden at first that changed us. But I believe it's very applicable to us today what's written down here. The reason is because in our, our society, there's two things a lot of us want to do. One of them is work, and one of them is family. We want to do work well, we want to do family well. 
It's actually a really common phrase that you hear when you're talking about work. Everyone is looking to find this thing called a good work-life balance, right? And that idea comes from the fact that there's this tension between these two parts of our lives. Many people would probably love to be able to just focus 100% on the family, never worry about work. But of course, there's many needs that will not be met unless someone goes to work sometimes, right? <laughs> and there's also those whose number one drive, man, from the time they are young, they just want to be successful in a job. And then something happens. They meet someone, they fall in love, they have a family, and they find out it's kind of difficult to balance the two sometimes. Spouse and the kids has a way of changing things uh, when our heart is right. Most likely for all of us, the, the challenge is how do we be as successful as we can, but also live in, a, live in a way and work in a way that honors God. And as amazing as this story that we've been reading is in Genesis, uh, as deep as this hurt and in turn the forgiveness is, as powerful as all of these reunions must have been, Joseph, he was able to reunite his family because he was successful in Egypt. Let that sink into you. Joseph, living in a foreign land, he was able to reunite his family, take care of them because he was successful in Egypt at what God had given him to do. Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the world at the time, but also one that was very far from godly. And here's how it applies to us as a person living, working in 2023. We can be successful in taking care of our family and also be successful at work. It can be done. Not always easy, but it can be done. Even if you don't have a traditional family, you're likely here today because you're part of the family of God or you're looking to be a part of the family of God. So it's easy to ask the question, why do we take a break from this magnificent story? It's like, Lord, I want to hear more about those conversations between Joseph and Jacob. I want to hear everything they said. I want to see all the emotion. I want to see all the tears. Why do we take a break from this story about the reconciliation to talk about the fortunes of Egypt, this godless nation? The reason is because the way we go about the work God has given us in our lives, it matters. It matters what you do every day. I'm going to submit this statement to you today that might change how you think about your work. You might not even like hearing it. <laughs> Whatever your daily grind is, maybe your daily grind is not work in the traditional sense. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, stay-at-home mom or dad, and that's what you do. The statement is this, our time at work writes the story of who we are more than our time at church. The reason I believe that's true is because most of us spend 40 hours a week at work or more than three or four at church. So the 40 hours writes the story more than the three or four hours. The reason is because, you know why it's super easy to put on a good show for three or four hours? We can all walk in here, make sure we look good, make sure we had a good breakfast, make sure we have the coffee or the Red Bull we need or whatever, whatever's going to make us feel good. We can come in and we can put on a good show. It's not as easy to do for 35 or 40. Not as easy to do at 8.01 in the morning on Monday when you're tired, you haven't had the coffee, it was a rough night or whatever. Not that what happens at church shouldn't inform how we act at work because it should. Our relationship with Jesus, our experience with God that we have at church, it should hopefully infiltrate every single thing that we do. But the grind of a week at work or at home or at home with the family, that tells a story of what's happening in our hearts. 
And just to set up where we're going today, we know at this point in the story of Genesis, Joseph's extended family, his father Jacob, his brothers, and their families, they're all settled in Goshen in the land of Egypt. There's a JBQ question about this, and the way my wife always helps my sons remember it is it's Goshen by the ocean. Where did they settle? Goshen by the ocean. What we know about Goshen is that it was one of the best places in all of Egypt. Verse 11 of chapter 47, it tells us simply, it was the best land in Egypt. And we know that Pharaoh gave this land to them not because of Jacob, but because of Joseph's faithfulness and success. Not because of Jacob, the, the patriarch of the family, but because of Joseph's faithfulness and success. History also tells us that at some point in here, it's likely the Pharaoh that had been in power when Joseph first came to Egypt, he had died, and a new one who was younger than Joseph, he held the same respect for Joseph as his predecessor. And we see that as Jacob and his sons are getting settled in Goshen by the ocean, things continue to get more serious with the famine. Let's read together this morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, Genesis 47, 13 through 27. Uh, I'm reading to you out of the NIV this morning, and we've got it on the screen. It says this, Joseph in the famine. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your, before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year, and said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well, buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, now that I have brought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning the land in Egypt. Still in force today that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt, in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there, and they were fruitful and increased greatly in number. And we believe uh, here at our church that all scripture is useful, ordained by God himself. And sometimes there are very practical applications 
for our daily life that we can use in a passage. I believe there's a treasure trove of practical truth contained in this section. There's things in here we're going to talk about today, things that you know and you believe, but you didn't know there was a set of verses that shows, shows it to you really clearly. I've got this really simple truth that I want to pull out of this section, and it's about how Joseph shows us how to succeed at work. It's not a TED Talk. Uh, you know, that kind of sounds like a TED Talk out there on the sign, how to succeed at work. It's not a TED Talk. Straight out of the Bible. The truth is that Joseph shows us when we are successful at work, we are builders and not destroyers. God's calling us to be builders and not destroyers. Now, I'm not referring to the actual physical activity you do each day. Don't, like, put words in my mouth. If your job is, like, running a wrecking ball, demoing walls or something, you are not living in sand. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you ever let volunteers run the wrecking ball... Put me on the list. That sounds like fun. I'll sign whatever waiver or whatever. <laughs> sounds like a good time. We've talked before, right? Sometimes the first part of building something new is knocking the old thing down. So not the physical activity I'm talking about. I'm talking more about the condition of our heart in the day to day. We're called to be builders and not destroyers. Joseph's actions here in this passage, they're a clear window into, into his heart. We see here that God has brought Jacob into Egypt just in the nick of time. The beginning, it said, uh, both Egypt and Canaan wasted away. whole world was in famine, just as Joseph predicted and it was spoken to him by God. And this is not just a problem for himself or his family or his business. It's a problem for everyone in the entire world as Joseph understands it. And the reason that Joseph is where he is, has the responsibility he has, he has been able to bring his family to safety, is because he had the wisdom given to him from God to solve a worldwide problem. Now, there have been many, many problem solvers throughout the course of history. And there are many problem solvers alive in the world today, for sure. But what set Joseph apart was his ability to solve the problem without destroying someone else. So many times in our modern age, man, you see this so much if you pay attention. So many times in our modern age, when we see someone solve a problem, there is someone or something they decide they must tear down before they begin to build. I'm not talking necessarily about something evil or destructive that must be removed because we all know that that happens. There's evil and destructive forces in the world that need to be fought against. We know in our fallen world there's evil and there's pain, and sometimes it needs to be removed. I'm talking more about a business person who, in order to accomplish their goals, they actively destroy a competitor simply because they're in the way. I will never forget a time, uh, for a little while I worked uh, for an AV company. I'm not going to tell you the names of the companies because they're both still around today. Um, But I was working for one, and honestly, it was not my favorite. At the time in Boise, there was only a few is when the economy was down. I don't remember what year this actually was. I started working for them in 2010. And uh, as I became full-time at the church, I would just do uh, part-time jobs. And uh, it, it wasn't my favorite company for reasons we'll just, I'll talk to you about another time. Uh, but it was my favorite company. There was a guy uh, that was a believer that I had hoped to work for. I'd done some work on the side for him, and he didn't hire me. And this other guy gave me a job. And I was doing this big show. I was doing the Snake River Stampede. I've told some of you some stories about this. I, man, some of the most hilarious, 
experiences, craziest, longest days were at the Snake River Stampede. One of the biggest rodeos in the nation. Uh, I mean, unexplainable stories, unexplainable personalities, uh, hilarious. But uh, the, all the AV companies in the Valley, they wanted to get the Snake River Stampede because it was a huge contract, tens of thousands of dollars. There was the show that goes on inside, and then if you've been at the Idaho Center, there's an amphitheater outside where they have concerts and stuff. And there was a whole separate thing that went on out there. The company I worked for had the stampede, and uh, through a series of circumstances, I ended up being the lead guy on that. And uh, this other guy that I knew who was a believer, ostensibly, uh, he had the show outside. And uh, so, uh, believe it or not, the stampede is late, late nights, so I was walking out of there one night at midnight, and uh, there's like a back entrance, and I was walking out, and I ran into this guy from this other company who's a believer that I know, and he said, John, what are you doing here? I said, I'm working for Phil and the Blake Company, uh, running the show, and he's like, oh. He looks me in the eyes, he goes, how do we put him out of business? I want to put him out of business. I'm working for the guy, <laughs> and the guy I was working for was not a believer. He looks at me, he says, how do we put him out of business? And I laughed, kind of laughed off. He's like, no, I'm serious. I want to put him out of business. And walked away. Haven't talked to him very much since, I have to be honest. <laughs> There's a lot of people in this world who they actively destroy their competitors simply because they think they're in the way. And Joseph, for his part, with all of his power, remember, second most powerful person in all of Egypt, he probably could have come up with a solution that involved destruction. Right? Joseph could have gone to Pharaoh and he could have said, listen, Pharaoh, it's getting real serious out here. I know you're safe in the palace, but you might not know that no one's got any food. What we need to do is we need to take the army, we need to go to other countries that may have saved up a little bit, and we need to take it all by force. There might only be a little from each palace, but we've got a big army, and I believe we can get another, enough food from other places to survive. Who cares if they die as long as we live? Joseph was powerful. That could have been the solution he came up with. He also could have come to Pharaoh and he could have said, hey, listen, Pharaoh, there's not enough for the regular people, for the peasants, and for us. So we should take everything we can get. Make sure that we survive. And if everyone else dies, well, then we'll still be alive to carry on the name. And maybe ideas like that entered his mind. But we see something in Joseph that is so uncommon with people of great power. That is that Joseph was a builder by acting with integrity even though no one was watching. You see, Joseph, the time in which he was living, he held the power to do just about whatever he wanted. Let's look really quickly about how he took care, though, of the people that he had been sent to in this time and place. The first thing he does, we read it in there, is he does the obvious. We're going to unpack it a little bit. He does the obvious. The people run out of food, and the people bring the money they have. And in return, Joseph sells them the grain so they can plant their crops. Remember, uh, several chapters ago, we read that he'd stored up so much grain before the famine because he knew it was coming because there was going to be seven good years. He stored up so much grain that it was like the sands on the seashore. They couldn't count it. But look in verse 14, what it says Joseph does with the money. Joseph planned all this. Joseph came up with all this. Verse 14 says, he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. Now understand, Pharaoh didn't do any of this. Joseph comes up with the plan. He distributes the grain. He collects the money. 
more likely he sends people out to collect the money. But instead of keeping any of the money for himself, he takes it to his master and to his boss. There, he doesn't charge a commission. He doesn't charge him a finder's fee. Those resources that he was using, he understood they belonged to Egypt, and so the prophets belonged to Egypt. Even though he may have had a right to demand a profit from Pharaoh, he's actively building the nation instead of destroying it. Remember, he's not even an Egyptian. Proving with his actions that he believed his master prospering was the best way for him to prosper. It's already sounding so opposite from a lot of people we run into these days, right? And this type of integrity, friends, to the best of our ability is how we should live at work or at home. But you and I have both seen how easy it is for people who are in power to take advantage of their position. How many stories have you read or have I read or even experienced ourselves where an employer or a CEO or a stockbroker or even a pastor, they see an opportunity to take more money than they should without anybody knowing, so they just do it. Eventually they get caught. Three little things about integrity that we have seen in Joseph uh, throughout Genesis I want you to see. I think they come up on the screen. You can write them down. I believe these apply directly to us in 2023. First one is this. Joseph was committed to going the long way. We go read this story, and sometimes it's easy to lose sight of how long this all took. But it's been 20 or 30 years as Joseph has been serving in the foreign land. 20 or 30 years in a land where it is godless. They do not serve the God that he serves. But those same traits that defined him in Potiphar's house, they define him now. Number two, Joseph was committed to making difficult decisions. This calls back on several chapters ago, but in the moment, I'm sure that it was difficult for uh, Joseph to resist Potiphar's wife. The Bible says she was beautiful. Potiphar, the husband, was gone. And there were surely moments even that it occurred to him how easily he could take ultimate power in Egypt if he wanted. Remove the one person above him and then ascend to the throne himself. Now, none of that is specifically mentioned in here, but here's how I know it crossed his mind. It's because he was a human male, <laughs> right? <laughs> any human male will be tempted by the beautiful woman, and any human male will be tempted to take power if they can get it. But Joseph was committed to making difficult, difficult choices. We see it throughout his life. Uh, number three, finally, we see that Joseph was committed to resisting momentary pleasure. Man, how good would it have felt when his brother showed up to just stick it to him and embarrass him? <laughs> You guys, I'm so glad you're finally back so I can make a fool out of you. How easy would it have been for him to skew all the finances favorably for himself so that nobody would notice, make his escape when the time was right? How easy would it have been for Joseph, with all the power he had, to have any woman that he wanted? But if we're going to be someone who is a builder, not a destroyer, who has integrity, we have to do these three things. We have to go the long way. We have to make difficult choices and we have to resist momentary pleasure when we see joseph actively doing all of these things here he's showing us how to live when we are entrusted with great responsibility he could have easily taken what belonged to the kingdom and, and taken it for himself but instead he took it all to pharaoh's house 
couple of verses, and one year later it says the people need food again. The famine is ongoing, just as Joseph knew it would be. And the people are out of money. Joseph says in verse 16, then bring your livestock. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. We see here that Joseph is a builder and not a destroyer and how he treats the people with dignity even though he holds all the power. What's so interesting here, uh, Joseph, again, with all the power, he does not simply give the people a handout. He has access to everything that Egypt has, but he does not give the people a handout. Even though they have no money, he looks at what they do have, and he gives them grain in exchange for what they do have, their sheep, their goats, their cattle, their donkeys. And in doing so, he keeps from teaching the people that they can get something for nothing. And he allows the people to retain their dignity by planting their own fields, harvesting their own food, feeding their own family. And there's this principle that many of us, many of you, I'm sure, just intrinsically understand, right? And that is that if you pay at least a little for something, then it means more to you. I'll never, ever forget one time when I was a youth pastor, uh, we were doing a winter camp. And uh, I always said, I say the same thing now. I say, hey, if you feel like you're supposed to go to camp and you can't afford it, you come let us know. We feel like the Lord will take care of you. And whenever someone comes to us, almost always we'll say, we would love it if you just paid something. Because it means something if you pay a little bit, right? I'll never forget, I said this to this kid. I didn't know his parents. We ran this thing called The Zone at the time in CUNA. And we didn't see a lot of the kids' parents. Uh, It was for kids that didn't have anywhere to go after school. This kid shows up to leave on the day, no registration forms, no nothing. I said, oh, you're going. He's like, yeah. I said, okay. He said, you said to bring whatever I had. And he gives me a dime. And he's like, this is what I have. And I was like, well, okay. (laughs) This is what you have. Let's go, right? If we pay at least a little for something, it means more to you. And that's the principle Joseph was working with here. He did not want the people to starve. But he also wanted them to be a part of the solution. And he didn't want to create people who were dependent on what the palace would give them. But I believe that where Joseph was coming from goes even deeper than that. You see, there's this thread that runs throughout our modern society. And that is that we never want to revisit our past. If life was a struggle before, we never want to go back there. We don't want to acknowledge that it was hard. And what we want to do is we want to draw a line between ourselves and between the downtrodden. But I believe Joseph, the reason he acted like this is because he never forgot what it was like to be delivered. Joseph was in a situation multiple times throughout this story that he had to be delivered miraculously. And it had happened to him by the hand of God through humans many times. And if Joseph had the chance to be a part of someone else living instead of dying, he was going to take it. He was going to figure out the best way to make it happen. And Joseph actually was embodying, I believe, what David would write later in Psalm 34. The Lord is what? Close to the brokenhearted. I would have been brokenhearted in these people's situation. Hey, I have no more money and I have no more food. What can I give you? But we sometimes, in our modern society, what we tend to do uh, is believe that it could never be us. Instead of having the attitude of, uh, there's this famous saying, it's not in the Bible, but this famous saying, but for the grace of God, go I. 
right? If not for the grace of Jesus, man, I could be anywhere in any bad situation. But you see, Joseph, he was a builder and not a destroyer. Finally, we see that Joseph was a builder, not a destroyer, by coming up with creative solutions. And as this chapter progresses, the famine is ongoing. The people, they have brought everything they have. They brought their money. They have brought all their livestock. But they're back to square one a year later, just like Joseph knew they would be. And they're so desperate. The famine is so severe. And remember, the Bible said it's in Egypt and Canaan both. It's in Egypt and where his family came from. That these people, they come and they offer their land in their own service in exchange for the grain that Joseph has stored up, like the sands of the seashore. Notice again Joseph's integrity there uh, in verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land in, in Egypt for Pharaoh. But there's this key here uh, in verse 21. I was telling the worship team earlier, I did not really know this until I was studying it this last couple of weeks. We got to see this in verse 21 when it comes to Joseph's creativity. It says there in verse 21, he spread the Egyptians out from one end of Egypt to the other. What I didn't know is that previously the population of Egypt had been mostly concentrated in a few areas. A few cities, a few areas, and that's where they were prosperous. But Joseph knew that in order for Egypt to prosper, they were going to need to spread out. They were going to need to farm more of the land. The limited amount of land they were trying to survive on, it was not going to do the trick anymore. I was thinking about this last night. I was going over my notes, and I was thinking about it's similar to... uh, have you ever run into anyone, they're probably from east of the Mississippi, and they say, man, the United States is getting so overcrowded, there is nowhere for anybody to live. And I always want to say to them, so I live in this place called Boise, and if you drive south, there's like nothing for like 500 miles. <laughs> like there's nothing. Really, there's nothing. You can put a lot of people out there, right? This is kind of the situation they're in. They're all concentrated in these little areas. And Joseph says, hey, if for us to survive, we're going to have to spread out. So in exchange for their land and for their servitude, he gives them the seed they need. Instead of giving them food, he gives them the seed to work with, and he assigns the people a part of the land to farm. And it was probably a place they hadn't been, probably not comfortable for the people. But he comes up with a creative solution. All they needed to do was give one-fifth of what they harvested to Pharaoh. Then they got to keep the rest to feed their families and to replant. In doing this, Joseph, he's done three things. He's fed the people. He's given them a place to live. And he's continued stocking the food stores of the nation as a whole. What he has done is he's united the people around the cause of surviving the famine. And Joseph's cause was not every man for himself, but we'll get through this together. We have sure seen our own society, man, specifically and so sharply the past five to ten years, how different those two ways of thinking can be. What it's like to be with someone who is saying, we'll get through this together, and what it's like to be with someone who says, it's every man for himself. Send the other people away. And again, here we see what I believe is Joseph's heart because he still holds all the power. He has the authority to take or to do whatever he wants. 
But even when it would have benefited him greatly, Joseph did not take something and give back nothing. You want to succeed at work, you figure out how to not take something and give back nothing. Now, this is the most classic shady sales pitch in the book, right? And it tends to really work on us as humans when we are desperate. And the trick is you try and sell someone something uh, that they think they need at an irresistible price, knowing that it will only last long enough for the seller to disappear with the money. Joseph had every opportunity to pull this on the entire nation of Egypt. What Joseph had on his hands here was a nation full of completely desperate people. But instead of responding, taking advantage of him in whatever way he saw fit, Joseph worked with creativity. And he somehow united the people while simultaneously helping them provide for themselves. And how is it that we know that uh, the people were united? It's by the people's response. Look at verse 25. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Translation, Joseph, whatever you say, we will do because you have saved us. See, Joseph, he was a builder and not a destroyer. And in 2023, Boise, Idaho, God is calling us to be builders and not destroyers. I tell you what, you go to your work and you become someone who's looking to build and not destroy, looking to serve the needs of others instead of just your needs, people are going to notice there's something different about you. And even better, and this is the part we'll get to next week, but I just wanted to plant a little seed. Look at what the result of all of this All of Joseph's faithfulness, all of Joseph's integrity and creativity is, look what it is, verse 27. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and greatly increased in number. Friends, I believe God just wants us to know today, in our everyday, no matter what it looks like for you, God is calling us as his people to be builders, not destroyers. It can be really tempting for us to sing our songs, do our message, go about our week, you know? But in whatever it is you do each day, I want to challenge you, whether it's staying at home with your family. And I'll tell you what, there's a part of our year, my wife's a tax accountant, when she works just as many hours as she can stand, I do a lot of staying at home with the family. Whether it's working from home, whether it's working a regular nine to five, whether you drive for delivery service or Uber or something. You might be listening to me talk thinking, hey, man, this is a really great story you're telling me. But I'm not running a country here. I got two kids and a cat and I'm just trying to survive at home. We've all been there. I'm just trying to survive when I go home and it feels pretty insignificant, I got to tell you. Nobody cares what I'm doing. Can I just remind you that Joseph, he exhibited all of these traits when he was in prison, just like he did when he was in the palace. You know what it was that got him in to Potiphar's house was his integrity. You know what it was that got him thrown out of Potiphar's house and into prison? Also his integrity. And even there, when he was in prison, he helped the cupbearer and the baker by interpreting their dreams, even though he had no guarantee that it would help him. And for two miserable years, remember, he thought that it hadn't helped him. 
And his devotion to God determined how he acted. His situation did not determine how he acted. Friends, in your nine to five, in your at-home life, your devotion to God determines how you act, not your situation. I'd love to encourage you this morning to do uh, just two things that help us to be builders of people. And not just builders of people, but builders of God's kingdom. One of those things is to make sure that your foundation always remains. The absolute best way, and I'm here to tell you this today, the people that are in this place that have been serving God for 50 years, they'll tell you, the absolute best way for you to succeed in your everyday is a strong everyday relationship with Jesus. You want to succeed? You want to be a builder? You want to be someone with creative ideas? Have a relationship with Jesus because he will help you. It's time in the word of God each day. It's praying each day. If you find yourself struggling to live out your faith, those two things, uh, they change the posture of our hearts when we read the word of God and when we pray. And they change the destination of our days. We're going to be closing here in a minute. If it's something that you need to do, just give your life to Jesus. Place your hope and trust in him. I would encourage you as we pray here in a moment, just whisper a prayer to Jesus and say simply to him, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I don't even know what it looks like in my situation, but I surrender my life to you. Now, I want you to know, friends, you can take all this stuff that I'm saying today to heart. You can decide, okay, I'm going to have integrity. I'm going to be creative. I'm going to be a builder, not a destroyer. But if you don't have Jesus in your heart, you're going to find it really difficult because it's not the way of the world. We must have a firm foundation. We must also never become good at compromising our values. You see, we live in a world that is full of gray area. Everything is gray. Every time you try and be black and white about something, somebody wants to make it gray. But there is a way to live that God specifies in his word. And there is a right and there is a wrong. How you live it in your everyday, only you know. But we are builders when we refuse to compromise on what we know is right. The most kind thing we can do is be honest. And I would encourage you to base your values on what the word of God says. If you've got questions about what the word of God says, I would encourage you to dig in. Base your values on your strong foundation. I promise you, if you are looking for answers to big questions in this life, they are found in the word of God. They are found in community with other people that know Jesus. If you've got questions, then dig in. So I guess the question is, is, does God care about what we do outside of this church building? Does God care how we act in our 40 hours of work each week? I believe Joseph's example tells us that he does. Because that 40 hours, it tells the story of what God is truly doing inside of us. Your 40 hours you're going to go spend this week, it tells the story of what actually happened in this place today. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're almost done. Friends, God has called each of us to be a builder and not a destroyer. There's no life that's too insignificant. Maybe you're a builder in how you manage the people underneath you, how you handle your large responsibility with integrity. Or maybe it's just you're a builder by making the difficult choice to speak life in your home, no matter how difficult the moment or the hour or the day. Both of those friends are equally important. 
if we're looking to build and not destroy. We must speak life. I'm just going to give you a moment as Stacy plays. Just feel the Lord uh, speaking and moving, and he doesn't necessarily need me to say anything. I mentioned earlier, if you need to know Jesus, that uh, you can accept him right in this moment by just whispering a prayer saying, Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender to you. If you're far from God today, I encourage you to whisper that prayer to him. If you're here today and if you're honest, your heart has been convicted by the story, by Joseph's actions, and you want to apply it, and you want to start tomorrow, I just pray that, I just encourage you, ask God for the strength and the wisdom to do it. And if you know the Lord, but man, it's been a struggle, and if you're honest, your foundation hasn't been as firm as you'd wish, would you recommit your life to him today? I'm just going to give you a moment, as tasty place to do that before I pray and dismiss you. for your word thank you that it's true and just like it says it's uh, alive and sharp as a two-edged sword Lord I thank you that it speaks to us uh, just as much in our day to day as it does uh, when we're standing in your house worshiping your name together with other believers I just pray that you would spark in every single person that's in this room listening to this online, wherever. Lord, uh, you would spark inside of them this desire to be a builder and not a destroyer. When everyone else in the world is looking to destroy and discredit, Lord, would you help us to be the ones uh, who build your kingdom upon this earth, that help heaven to touch this earth. Lord, would you use me, would you use us to bring people to you? Lord, for those that uh, they know you, they've known you for a long time, but they know they need to make a change in the way they live. If they've been 95% honest, but they know they need to go the other 5%, I pray you give them the courage to do it. Lord, uh, maybe there's someone here who's facing uh, a situation uh, where they're a boss and they've got to make a hard decision. Lord, I pray you give them the strength to do it. Would you give your people in this place, the people of Engage Boise, creative solutions to the problems they face. Lord, for those that are in this place and uh, it just comes down, uh, the most courageous thing they can do is speak life and love into their family. Every situation, every circumstance, I pray you'd give them the strength to do that. For those, Lord, that may have whispered a prayer to you, committing their life to you, I pray you'd spark something new inside of their heart. I pray that they would feel different as they go from this place and you would continue to convict of sin that you would sanctify our hearts each day by your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for your word, for the story of Joseph and what it shows us. I pray that you would speak to your people, that you would go with us with your grace and mercy, with your compassion. We love you. We place our hope and our trust in you. Praise things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Friends, thanks for coming to church today. We're so grateful you joined us. Again, if I haven't met you before, love to shake your hand, say hello to you on the way out. 
Thanks for coming. We'll see you Wednesday night, 7 p.m. We have something for every age. Or next week, 9.30 on Sunday for Sunday school, uh, 10.30 for service. We'll see you next week or next Wednesday. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.